guest is Ray White, who joins us from Tel Aviv, Israel. Originally from St. Petersburg, Russia, Ray relocated to Tel Aviv over a decade ago. Ray got her start in the industry in her late teens when she landed a job at a pub in St. Petersburg. This helped cultivate Ray's interest in whiskey and beer. From there, Ray's interest grew to explore wines, fine cuisine, and cocktails. Currently, Ray co-owns a ready-to-drink product line and offers bar consulting services, organizes private and large-scale events, and hosts a monthly alcohol-themed TV show called Sane Drink. We had a terrific time in conversation with Ray, and you'll enjoy it too. Enjoy the show. We're back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. I'm Kip. This is Dan. How are you doing, man? Doing well, doing well. Uh, I got to go and do some snowboarding this past weekend, so I was happy about that. That was something different and it didn't involve work. What about you? Where did you find the snow? Oh, I went local here. <laughs> uh, they actually got a lot of snow on the I was actually surprised. They've done a good job of keeping what we what they uh what we had. Good and then uh, making snow too at night. So nice. Yeah, it'll last for another couple more weeks. Yeah. Yeah. What about yourself? How are going with you? Uh things are good. The bars are running. We're in a bit of a slog of January, February now, but uh it January was not as bad as previous January. So oh, really? Yeah. Good. Surprising and we will take it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, if you're in the area, Kitchener Waterloo, the bars are Sugar Run downtown Kitchener. You can follow that at Sugar Run Bar on Instagram or Uptown Waterloo is Babylon Sisters Wine and Cocktail Bar, and that bar is at Babylon Sisters Bar on Instagram. We are doing, we have DJs every Friday. We have live music every Saturday there. Uh, Sugar Run live music, comedy on Wednesdays, live comedy on Wednesdays, live music on Thursdays, and then rotating DJs, burlesque shows, etc. on the weekends. Nice. Exciting stuff. So come check it out. Yeah, I guess that's about it for that. If you are interested in what we're doing here on the show, the best way that you can help us out is to follow us on your major podcast platforms. Uh, you can also subscribe, rate, review. All that stuff helps tremendously. If mm-hmm. you want to post a little review, we'd love it. All that stuff helps. So or so they tell us. Yeah. <laughs> this is episode uh, 183. We just found out that we're getting into lots of great stuff in the archives. If you want to take a look back there, if you've missed any of the episodes. Oh, there's one nifty feature coming to Apple Podcasts, actually, in the coming weeks is uh, transcription of the podcasts. Hmm. So for those in case you want to actually read along, <laughs> uh, that'll be available. I don't know why the hell you'd want to do yeah. that, but. <laughs> That's coming up in a couple of weeks. Try, try. Yeah. Maybe if you're more of a reader than a listener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So except remember I got a notification that said, hey, if you want to keep your podcast going on the platform, do this, blah, blah. And, uh, so it's kind of nifty. Interesting. Yep. All right. Well, we should mention uh, that if you want to be a guest on the show, you can email us, info at the industrypodcast.club. We're always looking for great industry stories. Pretty much all the industry stories are great. So uh, we always get this all the time. I don't like when we reach out to people, like, I don't know if I have that much to talk about. And like all these stories, we'll find something interesting. Trust me. Mm-hmm. So the other way you can reach out to us is at the industry podcast on Instagram where you will find the amazing artwork by Zach Hanna, Z-A-K-H-A-N-N-A-H, at ZachHanna.co. That's where you can reach out to him if you need some graphic uh, work done for you, because he is amazing. And I think that's all we really need to battle on about. Covers it all. And as mentioned, as always, everything we talk about will be in the show notes for any links or sites you want to check out. So make sure you check those out. Great. Okay, so we have an awesome guest as usual. This is Ray White joining us from Tel Aviv, Israel. How are you, Ray? I'm good. Hi. Good evening. Oh, well, hello, good evening thanks. for me. Good afternoon. Good, good afternoon for us. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again for doing the show. We really appreciate it. 
And uh, yeah, well, let's just dive right into it. So talk to us a little bit about how you got involved in the service industry at the beginning. And uh, sorry, I should ask you first, did you grow up in Tel Aviv or? No, no, it goes like this. I'm, you know, it's a very sensitive moment for a lot of people yeah. because of what is going around. So I will start with a joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the Athens Bar Show two months ago. You know, the big Athens Bar Show in Greece. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of people from the industry. And I was a speaker there and I had a guest bartender and she as a beluga ambassador there. I'm hanging around on this big alcohol exhibition and people ask me, ah, so where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from Vodka Beluga. They're like, yeah, but the ambassador of which country you are? I'm like, I'm from Beluga. And they're like, yeah. no, but where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Russia and Israel. Two countries you don't want to hear about right now. And then like, you want to drink something? I'm yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. So let's have some vodka. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. basically, I'm originally from St. Petersburg, Russia, which is close to Finland. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful city. I grew up there until the age of 23. I was bartendering from the age of 17. Oh, wow. So basically, it's the only job I had in this life, mostly. I started with the Irish pub and beers and whiskeys, and then I fell in love with the wines and, and the Italian cuisine and cigars. And then around the age of like 20, I met the cocktails, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> then I was learning about cocktails and competing on the competitions and going to master classes. And when I moved to Israel when I was 23, basically I was managing cocktail bars, building them, events, like everything that connected to cocktail world. And I think for like 15 years of my career, I was believing only in the service. As we spoke before, that, you know, services, we, we are hospitality people. Mm-hmm. So um, I was always teaching people that the people coming for people, that the bartender is the owner of the bar. doesn't matter who is the real owner of the bar. You know, for the customer, we are the owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, Corona changed this perspective. And now I'm also producing my own ingredients. So not always I need to be behind the bar. And sometimes my products can be behind the bar. And I can talk to you guys right now, for example, and my cocktails are working somewhere. Right. And so, but are you still physically working in a bar as well? I'm not managing bars anymore. Uh, okay. I can do guest shifts. I can do workshops, but I'm not working any specific bar. Unfortunately, it's too, taking too much time mm. and too much like a life source. You know, uh, the last bar I was managing, I spent at work around 300 hours a month. Yeah. So... Ooh. It was too much because you need to have orders and your bartenders are sick and then somebody's spotted the coming. So you have to be there. And then the coffee machine is broken. So you're dealing with all this stuff and then you don't see anything else. And you're like, so mm-hmm. I decided to do it a different way. Well, and we were talking before we started recording too about like how the pandemic has opened up all these new doors for different ways that people in the hospitality industry can work without physically working in a bar or restaurant. So we've talked to so many people over the course of this show that have done this, have made similar moves. So just like, you're still in the service industry, you're still in hospitality, but you're just finding different ways to do it, which is great that that exists now. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there was um, some like uh, amount of people that in pandemic just left the industry because they, you know, they became to work in high tech or maybe they went to work in whatever. So at least here, what happened when 
when the pandemic finished is that there was no middle bar bartenders. There was either experienced bartenders that decided to stay in the industry and they became more like bar owners or owners of some companies connected to alcohol. The middle bartenders all left and only like the very young ones also mm. want to be a bartender. So we had like this gap for a year or a year and a half and now it's all get balanced back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, that really happened. I noticed like trying to hire people when like we all got to open the bars again because so many people had left and you had a bunch of people quit and then trying to sort of restock your staff. Like you said, so many of them had like zero experience. <laughs> it made it really challenging. It was That's like what, one of the reasons why I did a consulting company and also not only consulting, but like I call it a babysitting program because I'm a mom. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. it's uh, natural for me because sometimes you can consult, you can give your heart to the project. I can build you like the best cocktail menu with amazing ingredients and choose you the most perfect glassware, but then nobody can maintain it. You know, uh, there is nobody, yeah. oh, I have a waiter and a half. Can you build me a cocktail menu? I'm like, no, yeah. and it will not work. So that's why we did some like adjustments that, for example, before I would never think I will use because I was so like snobbish about bartender's craft. And now to find solutions, I think it's much more important because people come, people go, not everybody stay in the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the turnover is way crazier than it used to be. That's for sure. Backing up a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about just because we haven't interviewed very many people I don't think we've interviewed anyone who's worked in St. Petersburg or Tel Aviv, have we? Uh, no. Great. <laughs> so um, so you're our first. So tell us, can you tell us about the sort of the bar and restaurant scenes in Tel Aviv and in St. Petersburg and the similarities or differences? Absolutely, sure. St. Petersburg, you know, um, if you know something about a city, it's if you take Russia, uh, St. Petersburg is a culture capital and it's also, they call us a bar capital. Oh. So we have, a lot of bars, pubs, sport bars, wine bars, whatever bars, you know. And exactly when I was growing as a bartender, it became uh, appearing a lot of cocktail bars. Uh, so bartenders becoming like, I don't know, cooking the syrups and making the infusions and, uh, you know, you know the vibe. So, yeah. so it's very beautiful. I really like the style of bartending there. People taking everything very serious because even if it's not Soviet Union anymore, and thanks God it's not Soviet Union anymore, people are very strict about what they're doing. If you're a bartender, you are a bartender. Mm-hmm. And you need to know everything you have on a display. You can't go to the shift without making three reading exams. You need to know all the classic history, even if you're working in the coffee shop and have only Baileys on a display. Okay, so that's what I love about the approach there. And also, Russia is a huge country. And people coming to Moscow and St. Petersburg to make money. So if you don't learn your shit, Somebody from the village will come and kick your ass. Oh, you know, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, they yeah. will learn it and they will do it better than you. So it's always a lot of competition. And also the service, I don't know how it's going in your country, but the service is very cold and polite. Okay. Yeah, so well, it's definitely this is like- the way you do it. Only, only when you know the person, like it's your regular, right. then maybe you can, you know, a bit. Mm-hmm. In general, it's very polite. Is If it's not like a sleazy bar, but I never work in such kind of bars mm-hmm. and if you're taking uh, Israeli hospitality it's completely opposite it was so hard for me because I will give you a simple example in Israel when the guest is coming doesn't matter which age is he and her and them or whatever you say how how are you doing and you also can say 
brought my brother or something like that. Or you can say, oh, my beautiful, uh, how are you today? You never saw this person before. Okay. Right. It's normal. Mm -hmm. In Russia, if you say to the person that you don't know how you're doing, he can say, why the fuck are you asking how I'm doing? Who are you? Oh, wow. You know? <laughs> and if and if it's people from like criminal 90s, you know, from oh, before, man. they can say, fire this stupid girl, you know, like, well, well how is she talking to me? So <laughs> I was in the beginning when I came to Israel, I was very closed. I was like, hi, mm, here's your menu, please. Uh, would you like some? Uh, and they were thinking I'm just a weirdo. So it took me some time <laughs> to break the ice. <laughs> but now I can, uh, how you say, you're snowboarding. So I can like snowboard on all these styles of hospitality, you know, yes. and combine them and heal the customer. Because if I have tourists and I see that they are maybe from Eastern Europe, so I can use that too. Right. And if I see there are Israelis or Greek or Italian people that are very, Middle Eastern with their vibe, you know, I can use the other language. And it's it's even everything. It's the body language, it's the language, it's everything. And also there's a very special thing about Israel. Nobody knows nothing. Most of the bartenders doesn't know nothing. They're making amazing money according to, you know, like to their life standards. Mm -hmm. And it's okay that they don't know the display. It's okay that they, they, they have to at least stand the shift Somehow survive. I remember I was consulting that bar and I coming to their opening and they're making, I don't know, um, for example, if I convert, if I'm converted to, uh, to euros, let's say they're making uh, 35 euros per hour. Okay. It's a nice mm -hmm. money, right? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so they're making 35 euros per hour and he's getting this ticket uh, that this says Courvoisier, which is a cognac, you know? Mm -hmm. And she can't even read it. Like, what is it? What is how many knows? What is it? Where it is? I wanted to kill him, you know? Like <laughs> such a nice money. Can you learn what you have? At least doesn't even know for where it is, you know? But here it's common. And because there's not a lot of workers and people that doesn't take it serious, but they're but here people are much more fun. Uh, like this clueless person can make you the evening of your life, you know? Right. Huh. So that's a pretty interesting difference because the contrast is pretty severe because you're dealing with, on one hand, people with immense amount of knowledge to, just to keep their jobs, and but very closed off and formal, and then so not as fun a work atmosphere. So now you're in a more fun work atmosphere, but with people with no knowledge. That's really that's about, that's about as stark a difference as you can get. <laughs> now people here also starting to pick up the knowledge because the level is going up and there is a lot of bars here, people coming from abroad with master classes. But when I came here 12 years ago, wow. <laughs> and the funny part also that here we have this small shot of like 30 milliliters alcohol, mm -hmm. like not 60, you know, 30, right. which here we call a chaser which is completely wrong with, with what you know as a chaser. Yeah. And if the bartender just doesn't know something or he feels stupid, he will pull you free chasers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, you can you can guys sit on my bar, for example, and have a beer, okay? Mm -hmm. And I feel that, you know, we have a good uh, vibe. So I'll pull you one round of whiskey and another round of whiskey and nobody cares about it it's like normal hmm. yeah we have a little bit of that here but if it gets too out of control then you, your owner is going to say something for sure when they start doing inventory yeah of course <laughs> yeah. don't pour mccallan 18 years yeah, old yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh i gotta ask a question about tipping culture are people expected to tip when they buy drinks in st petersburg or tel aviv it's very different as well actually good that you mentioned that because in uh 
not only in St. Petersburg, in Russia, maybe St. Petersburg and Moscow are a bit better because, you know, people travel, because yeah, people have touristy. money in the cities. Yeah. Again, not now. Now nobody travels in Russia, but I'm talking about before, yeah, right? Before, yeah. <laughs> so good tip was 10%. Okay. Okay. The good tip. If people don't want to give you 10%, they can leave you like a change. It can be, you know, 3%, 5%, but you never say anything to them. You never like uh, complain. Mm -hmm. You can also get nothing. It's right. also kind of, it's not normal to get nothing, but it's okay to get nothing. You can say, mm -hmm. oh, okay, they were assholes. So yeah. fuck it. Okay. <laughs> but in Israel, it's very different uh, because in Russia, uh, bartenders and waiters have salary, like yeah. you have salary per shift. And then the tips is on top of that. Mm -hmm. In Israel, it's a very high taxes. So if you're not working in the hotel, which is a different system, if you work in the bar, what in um, any kind of bar usually there is no salary for bartenders the salary is made by your tips i will give you example oh, to wow. understand it a bit better okay so for example if today by google <laughs> uh the minimum salary in the country is ten dollars an hour okay maybe whatever right. so if you're working i don't know as a constructor or washing streets you know this is the minimum minimum you can get so if i work in the bar and i worked eight hours shift and then we split the tips with all the crew and we didn't get to the minimum salary of this day of ten dollars per hour so the place will add us this small amount you know oh, so we yeah. will get it but if you get more for example i get five dollars an hour $50 an hour. I don't know, whatever. Again, yeah. Then the place doesn't pay me anything. Oh, wow. That's crazy. It's crazy. And before, one year before Corona started, they make even another law because before it was only cash flow, you know? So at least, you know, you're getting this money and you're going home. So the year before Corona started, they also start taking all this money that you make in tips and put taxes on them. Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, wow. And do, majority of people, do they pay by cash or uh, credit? Or credit? 90% credit card. Okay. Yeah. So like here. Okay. So that's the same everywhere now. Yeah. Huh. That's, that's, well, I mean, that's insane because then like, I mean, it sounds pretty good for the bar owner, but. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Other way you can survive the bar because of the taxes. Right. I mean, uh, as a bar owner, but here in Israel, everybody usually tip minimum 15%. Okay. Because so. they know bartenders have no salary because they all were waiter one day or their friends were working in the bar. So they know the situation. So for example, like a, I would not say teenagers, but 20 years old. Yeah. If they don't have enough money to keep in the bar, they might not go to the bar and they will drink somewhere else mm -hmm. because they don't want to offend anybody. And if you get 15%, it means everything was cool. If you get 20, it means it was great. If you get 10, it means it was not good. But if you get less than 10, it's like a red light to um, ask the manager to come and ask what was wrong. Right. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I got once uh, first year I was here and it wasn't even like the situation of service. I was on the beach, you know, this beach place with the plastic chairs oh, and yeah. I had a beer and French fries. It's not like somebody gave me a crazy service, you know, mm -hmm. and I I was like three months in the country. I didn't know there were the rules. So I, I paid and I left some coins for tea because it was a beer and French fries, you know. Yeah. And this guy was running after me. <laughs> with this change and like why you didn't give me i don't know 10 percent. what was wrong and i was like i'm sorry like didn't want to offend you just didn't know it's so like crucial <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's crazy at what at what point did you start sort of transitioning into doing more of the ambassador type roles and consulting like how at what point after you moved to tel aviv basically it happened naturally 
because the industry here is very small. Israel is super small and all the bars are in Tel Aviv and just a little bit is in Jerusalem. So everybody knows each other. Oh, okay. And not like in Russia. In Russia, usually like the pub guys know each other and the wine guys know each other and the cocktail guys know each other and the club guys know each other. Mm-hmm. Here, we all know each other because it's so small. Okay. So it was obvious because some more pe- more places started to open and they always wanted to be like in Tel Aviv. So I was managing the coolest bars in Tel Aviv. So they, okay, Ray, can you build us a cocktail menu? Can, us, can you do us some lectures? Can you make a special mixology course for our team? So it was kind of coming naturally, you know, I wasn't saying, okay, I'm stopping this and starting this. So for many years I was combining mm-hmm. because projects, you never know when you're going to get them. So you right. need to have a base and ambassador also when I was ambassador of Mescal Iba it was a part job because I was still managing bars Mescal is not such a big it, now it's a big scene but then we were the first Mescal coming to Israel so nobody like smoking Negroni was still like ma oh, what the fuck is that <laughs> now everybody drinks it so mm-hmm. it was interesting and uh, also for example working for Vodka Beluga which is a well-known brand and being the ambassador for two years was a crazy experience it was first time i was working in such a big system like uh, Mm -hmm. my bosses are abroad i'm along in the country working in front of israeli market uh, with a distributor and like it it was very different experience from i was thinking that i know everything yeah I mean, I know the history of alcohol. I love it. I know all the type of mixology techniques, you know. I know the psychology of the customers and all these lectures that I collect in my experience. And I'm sitting on the meeting and they're talking about containers and shipment. And they're saying, well, I don't know. I'm like, okay. There is another part of the industry which is completely different. These guys don't know what is Manhattan probably, but they know some other stuff. So it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, And in the the end, it just integrated, you know, in my life and that's it. And then you just get so busy doing all the projects that you don't have time for the managing of the bars anymore. So yeah, it's sort of a seamless transition. And not really. Because if, if if I would like really want to manage the bar, I would find the time. I just, Corona uh, pandemic uh, made me appreciate my time much more. Mm. And also not being afraid because before I thought, okay, I have a salary. I have, uh, according to other bar managers in the city, I have a good salary because I have a good name. Uh, but uh, I, I can't let it go. I can't go into nowhere also because I have kids. So I can't just, you know, go with mm. the flow. I want them to have a good life. Yeah. So uh, I was always afraid. But pandemic also teach me that nothing is stable and tomorrow everything can change. And if you don't try and if you don't put higher standards, you will always manage the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, how much you can manage the bar, okay? It's like the same thing. It's a different bar. It's a, a bit different coffee machine and a bit different, I don't know, cocktails, but it's the same thing. So I prefer to build them, to help them to create them and uh, to let them go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I, I, I like that idea of it as well, because when I'm opening bars, that's the part that I like the best is like the building of the program, the training of the staff, all that stuff. And then once it's open and running, things start to kind of run themselves. And then you're just like, well, now I'm kind of bored. <laughs> or either you're bored or either you get stuck with the employees that always sick, their grandmother sick, their girlfriend is uh, something. Yeah. And then you just stuck uh, doing shifts instead of them because and then right. you are managing. And 
so it's not that I don't love this part of the job. I just really start to appreciate time with my kids. I have three. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my big one is 12. My middle one is seven. And my daughter, uh, her name is Martini. Uh, uh-huh. She's three years old. So I want to be with them as well. Because mm-hmm. when I had the two boys, like my two boys, they grew up with me managing bars. They didn't see me. Right. They were coming to my work to eat at my work so they will meet me you know yeah. sometimes because i do double shit and i can't mm. go because everything is crashing you know yeah. or i was coming up too late couldn't wake up you know all, all this thing so i really want to be with them but still if i get, have a guest shift and i'm trying to be behind the bar at least once a week this is my happiness yeah when they're gonna be older i'm gonna stand in some pub and pour guinness this is <laughs> i love guinness yeah, me too. You drink Guinness? Or yeah. There's oh, yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Big Guinness fan. Yeah. <laughs> so I have this two from the age of 17, which is a Guinness time. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. need to dress up for St. Patrick's. <laughs> no. <laughs> so she has a clover, because this is an audio medium, well, we'll just tell the listeners, she has a tattoo of a Guinness clover on her neck, which is super cool. So I think what? you have it on your shirt right now. Uh, Celtics. The Celtics. Uh, clover. I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here. Here, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you as well about the TV show that you're involved in. Can you describe that to our listeners? Oh yeah, it's really cool. It's more like um, you know, it's more like a project for the soul, if I can yeah. say so. It's not like uh, for money or something else. These guys, they are a cornerstone of Israeli alcohol industry. They are few people that. Are uh, they all older than me in 15 years? Okay. Mm-hmm. So they all had their own bars. They're alcoholic journalists. They had their own radio show for eight years about alcohol. And they they are well known. Like everybody knows them. They're very cool alcoholics. If you, <laughs> yeah. If you take it, it's okay. So uh, when they moved to the TV format, they needed some fresh blood. Mm-hmm. Because they had the show for eight years on radio and they're all kind of this, like these guys that you meet in the pub, you know. So this guy a bit more about wines, this guy's more about whiskeys, but, you know, this their style and they're all very experienced. But they wanted something fresh. So they invite me to be like a mixologist of the show. Mm. So every time we take some theme, it can be some holiday that is happening. It can be, I don't know, the weather, whatever. And then I'm preparing my cocktails. They prepare something about whiskeys, wines, spirits, whatever. And then we're just drinking for 40 minutes in front of the cameras (laughs) and inviting (laughs) some chef to make us some food. But uh, we're trying to be not too geeky because, Mm. you know, sometimes we can get into details that nobody cares. Right. Yeah. What is the name of the dog that is living on a distillery in Ina? <laughs> okay, so nobody cares. Yeah. But we're trying to make it like fun and dynamic uh, and people like it. And it, it's forbidden in Israel to have alcohol on the main channels of the TV. But now nobody watched the main TV. It's all like, how you say, cable TV? Oh, yeah. Cable TV, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you like additional channels. So yeah. it's oh, like yeah. it's on TV, but it's like something plus. And then oh, you can yeah, talk yeah. about alcohol. Oh, so, like this, yeah, all the streaming services. Yeah, but they're very popular here because there's like three main channels with the, yeah. all the reality shows and news. Oh, yeah, and yeah. then everything else is on this extra channels. So, uh, so we're that's there. That's interesting. So you can't, uh, are there any other sort of strict weird rules in Tel Aviv regarding alcohol? 
There is not so many, for example, according to Russia, again, if we want to compare, yeah. for example, I can now go to the app of, of food deliveries or supermarket deliveries and I can order alcohol. I can okay. order a bottle of wine. I can order a bottle of gin uh, uh, until 11 o'clock. Okay? okay. Not at night, but at night we can still order it from the bar. Yeah. Like as a portion of the cocktail, if you order it in Russia, you can't order alcohol online. You can't order cocktail delivery. You can't order alcohol. Mm. It's forbidden. So okay. the only cocktail service exists in Russia online is the cocktails without alcohol, mm-hmm. like a frozen mix. And then you buy alcohol and you mix it at home. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Here you can get whatever on these deliveries. You know, if you have prescription for weed, you can get it in these deliveries. Yeah, they're starting to get that way here. Can we do the weed deliveries yet? I've got one coming tomorrow, actually. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just have to sign for it at the front. Yeah. No, here deliver? it's working. If you have a prescription, like, mm. and you can't for some reason get out to the pharmacy, you can get it, like, uh, okay. with this prescription thing. Hmm. Interesting. Whatever. Yeah, whatever works. <laughs> yeah, there's not so many weird rules, you know. It's it's very easy here. There's no, like, uh, of course, you cannot drink with you underage, but I think it's right. everywhere, everywhere like uh, like this in the world. You know, because we're also working here with, in Tel Aviv less, but in Jerusalem more, sometimes you, we're working together. We call them our cousins. It's uh, Arabic people. Because uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what you see on TV, but we all will all live here together. Yeah. Okay, we all we work together. We we like together. I mean, one bar. Like mm-hmm. you can have Arabic cook and Arabic uh, uh, also Muslim. Yeah, like cook or maybe a waiter. Usually not a bartender because they're not allowed to touch alcohol by their religion. Right. So this is, for example, the thing. But if you are Arabic Christian, of course you can. And like, so say a cook, but they, they, they'll they work in an establishment that sells alcohol as long as they're not touching it. No, they, they can work as a cook. They can cook or work as a waiter. They just can't touch alcohol by oh, their religion. Right. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. yeah it's, it's something I see, It's something in Islam that I don't really know why, but they can't touch it. And yeah. also, for example, if it's a hotel and there is a Jewish religious people, like really religious, and they want the wine to be kosher. Mm-hmm. You know what is it? It's kind of bullshit, but whatever. People yeah. really like the religious people really st- stuck in this. So, for example, the Muslim cannot open for them the wine because then it will become not kosher. Yeah, that's yeah. Crazy, yeah. <laughs> so no, you... it's it's so funny. Oh, now I know what will make you funny. Okay? okay, about the religious stuff, it's very funny. I I know there is a rules in the bar with the customers. Don't joke about religion, sport, and politics. Yeah, if yeah. You're not in <laughs> yeah. the bar. So um, when I just came to the country, I know that the kosher, you know, the, sh- the seafood is not kosher, right? Or mm-hmm. the pigs are not kosher. Obviously, everybody knows that I'm I'm a Jewish kid. When I was a Jewish kid, I know that the shrimps are not kosher. Mm-hmm. But I'm coming to this country and I'm starting to make events and weddings. You know, I'm making my cocktails on events. And the rabbi is coming to me and like, um, is this passion fruit this kosher? And I'm looking at him like, what do you mean? It's passion fruit. Yeah. It's not pig. Yeah. And he's like, no, you need to show me the kosher certificate. So apparently there is a lot of um, a lot of rules about what is kosher, what is not. For example, it needs to be grown in the farm that the workers are not working on Saturday, which is Shabbat. It needs to be washed in specific ways so there is no specific bugs. Uh, and for example, if you have uh, alcohol, uh, what's make it kosher? 
that the factory is not working on Saturday and it's blessed by the rabbi. And, right. all this, and sometimes it's just a, unbelievable. <laughs> so I'm working on this event and I don't know how to prove him that my passion for the kosher because I didn't bring in a certificate of the passion yeah, yeah. fruit. Right. You know, and then he kind of blessed my passion fruit. <laughs> and then he blessed my bar equipment as well. He blessed my shakers because maybe oh, wow. before I was working on a not kosher event. So he like did something with them and I had blessed shakers. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that's crazy. But it's also like it sounds so ridiculous when you say it like that, right? Because that all he has to do is say some words and then everything's fine. <laughs> yes. Or also he can open the wine, the rabbi, and it's becoming kosher. It's funny because it's I always don't like this moment because why my work needs to be changed by the people who believe in ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. I respect everybody, but I yeah. don't want to change my, like, for example, you can't use the coffee machine in Shabbat if the place is kosher, all the big hotels are kosher. You can't use coffee machine. You can't use um, any electricity tools in the bar. Right. And then every rabbi has his own limit of idiotism. Uh, for example, one told me not to shake loud. I said, okay, but I need to shake. Yeah. Shake, shake slow. Oh, <laughs> oh man. But it's, but it's but it's like, you know, in Tel Aviv and the bars, they're all not kosher. All the Tel Aviv is like wild and everybody eating seafood and drinking champagne and whatever. So here it's it's less. It's more big hotels or big events. That's why right. you're meeting these weird things. So, and if you don't want to talk about this, this is fine. We can just cut this out. But it, like, how are you finding it since the the war began? Like, I know you're saying in the bar and restaurant scene, everyone's working together. Like, what the outside world doesn't see is how you guys are unified when you're in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem or whatever. Um, but have you noticed any effect on the service industry or the types of or like more? I don't know. I don't know how to say this properly. But like, I understand what I mean. Yeah, I will yeah. divide it into two parts. Okay. okay. So the first part is a physical part, and the second is a mental part. So physical part is that a lot of bartenders are now in army. Right. So a lot of bartenders, bar managers, restaurant managers, they just physically can't work because they are not here. Okay. So some places even cannot open back because the first uh, months, everything was shut down. Everybody was just shocked and very sad and helping each other, volunteering. For example, one of my colleague, uh, bartender, again, if you want, you can cut it out, okay? Like my colleague uh, from the cocktail world, he was on that party on 7 of October as a, oh. as a party person, okay? And he was one of the survivors and he was like in this, um, they ran away when it started, uh, mm -hmm. When they started to shoot people on the dance floor, they, so they were just running. And imagine people at six in the morning in a party, okay? Crazy, How they yeah. feel yeah. when people start to shoot them. So they ran, they found some abandoned building, and they ran into this building. And then they came and started to shoot just everybody. And there were around like 40 people in that small building. And he was just covered by the corpses of his friends. Oh and somehow he and another guy survived. And then they kind of get out of there. And then somebody with a jeep picked them up, you know, but he was in a hospital. He was so fucked in his head. What he saw, I don't want to imagine what he saw. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so we were sending him Guinness to the hospital. Yeah. So he will feel <laughs> So it all comes back to Guinness. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so it's like, so this is the physical part. So a lot mm. of people damaged, a lot of people not here physically. They have to be somewhere else. And a lot of people just upset, depressed. Like, uh, this is the physical part. And the 
emotional part exactly with the connection with the Arabs that I'm here for 12 years and I was always say, wow, how beautiful we all live together. Mm-hmm. Some people hate each other, but some people always hate each other. doesn't matter you're a Jew or an Arab or you're Russian, okay? Mm-hmm. Somebody don't like each other and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like somebody doesn't like stupid people. Somebody does like, doesn't like smart people, mm-hmm. whatever. But because I'm working also in Jerusalem, I am a beverage consultant of the five-star hotel, which is the most luxury hotel in Israel, which is older than Israel. This hotel is like a palace of some Turkish guy before. And because it's Jerusalem, there's a lot of Arab workers and some of them doesn't speak Hebrew. They speak only English, which means they are from that part of the Jerusalem that doesn't want to be Israel. Mm-hmm. They don't accept. So, and we all work together. I work there every Friday and sometimes Saturdays. And, you know, since uh, this uh, happened, I came back. They didn't need, need my services for a few months because they didn't have customers. So sure. I'm an extra service. I'm like a cocktail mixologist coming to, I'm like mm. a cherry on top of the pie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm coming there like three weeks ago, we started to do it again. And all this Arabs, most of them Muslims, they're like, Ray, we're so happy to see you. We missed you. We missed your service. And like, guys, I missed you too. And they're giving me a recipe how to make the best shakshuka. It's like a dish or whatever. So it's all about people. Mm-hmm. Good people love each other. Right. You know, and uh, bad people, I wish they will not exist in this yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lovely sentiment. It's a good way to end this. Tell us our our listeners, where they can find you on social media or follow any of the businesses that you're currently involved in. Okay. So as I told you before, uh, I a bit changed my philosophy of being a bartender. And also because I cannot be behind the bar all the time. And also because even the people I teach cannot be all the time behind the bar. Right. Mm-hmm, right. So, so I produce, uh, besides consulting, I produce some products. I don't know. They exist in the world, but in Israel, we're kind of pioneers of doing that. I have a company with my husband and his best friend called R2D. We're ready to drink. Very simple. Mm-hmm. And we do tap cocktails, which is cocktails on tap. Yep. yep. So uh, we have all the manufacturing license and stuff. We do it with a dry dehydrated garnishes. So basically you don't need to be a bartender. Right. You need to be a good person standing behind the bar. So what's happening sometimes, you know, people getting a ticket with a cocktail and they don't know how to do it and they're getting stressed. Yeah. And then instead of being nice, they're like, oh my God, where's this upper and where's this whatever. Mm. So in this case, you don't need to be stressed. You just do like this and the cocktail is ready. Mm-hmm. And we do a foamer, uh, which is like just a few drops. You shake it and you have a vegan foam. You don't need an egg or aquafaba. Mm-hmm. Also, because it's very warm here. I wish I could snowboard here. But uh, <laughs> now it's like the coldest days and it's just raining, you know, um, looking in the window now. it's uh, Now it's like the coldest time. It's like plus 12. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's, that so, like a dream, uh, right? <laughs> so using raw eggs is just not safe. Right. Like gotcha. if you're in the bar, like in, but outside places, it's just not safe. Though so the former is really cool. We call it AI foam. Mm. Everything is AI now. Yeah, <laughs> and we create a AI mix, which is also kind of a solution for people that want to make cocktails, but uh, still, you know, they don't have. It's a big places. They don't have time to make lemon juice. Don't have time to make simple syrup. So it's simple syrup with lemon. Uh, and foam together. So you take oh. any bottle of alcohol, shake it, and you get a cocktail with a foam. Oh, I mean, for mixologist, it sounds like, okay, it's cheating. For uh, mixologist, please take your seasonal lime, squeeze it in the drink, and <laughs> tears of unicorns and be, be happy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
No, I think yeah. it's a great idea. It's like one of my, um, well, actually both of the places now are, are turning over heavy craft cocktails all the time. So like having a product like that would be super valuable, just like shortens the time. And it's like, it's the same product. You're just, you're just making it easier. Listen, it's the same. Like a few years ago, at least here in Israel, nobody was using batches. Oh, Everybody yeah. was making freehand cocktail, you know, you have all the ingredients on the spot. I was managing cocktail bar that uh, Marion Becke was consulting. It's amazing mixologist from London having a night jar bar, mm. you know, and we had cocktails with 12 ingredients sometimes. Ooh. And also cotton candy on top. And we had a chocolate fondue on the bar. So you take a glass, you dip it in fondue. So you have chocolate here, you put such and pepper. Anyway. It's just impossible to work without a batch. And then we made batches and everybody's saying, oh, they're making batches. They're cheating. Oh, you no. have to batch. You have to. Like if you, the places that don't batch aren't busy. It's that simple. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if you make one cocktail a day, okay, don't Yeah, batch. it's great. Yeah, it's crafted from so, the ground up. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. AI makes some kind of the same solution. Yes, maybe it's cutting creativity in some way, but it's for big places that mm. also bartenders there usually they're not creative yet, right. okay? I would right. put it nicely, so yet. <laughs> mm. So I will ask you as well, what people drinks at your bars the most? What is the most trendy drinks there? Uh, for cocktails, uh, we're still, we're always a little bit behind like the major cities here and uh, where we live in Kitchener and Waterloo. But uh, like, it, it, I find it cyclical and it's a lot of it's based on what the hot TV show or movie was recently and what they were drinking on that. Like, for instance, like a few years ago when Mad Men was a big deal, everybody wanted old fashions, right? So, oh, okay. yeah. So we, and we still make a lot of old fashions, but now Negronis are big again and martinis are coming back. Like it's, it's just, well, cyclical, people, well, this you know? is amazing that people yeah. drink martinis. Here yeah. it's so hot, nobody drinks them. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And like, but most people want the stuff that's on your signature menu, right? Like the, the, the stuff created by the and bar. the signature flavors are still based on gin. Like the main trend is it gin oh, cocktail like, or uh, yeah, it's all over the board. Gin, rum, vodka, whiskey, tequila is big now. Mezcal is yeah, big. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I don't know if that's the same. Is that the same in Tel Aviv? Would you say? Yeah, tequila went very high two years ago, mm-hmm. like together with Mezcal and Caso Azul and the other yeah. brands of uh, famous people promoting. Also, it's coming on from, from TV. Yeah. Uh, it's like people that, you know, like a few years ago, they would say, I, I want Patron. They say, I'm sorry, we don't have Patron. And we have different tequila. I don't drink tequila at all. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we always have these guys in the bars. And yeah. what about, uh, because I feel for me personally, um, because I love to drink. Yeah. On some point, I turned more to natural stuff. Mm. So the organic and natural wines becoming more popular. Yeah. Also, I started to feel that I don't want to be drink big, big brands anymore. Right. Also, even in uh, whiskeys, like before I was a huge fan of like very famous brands and smoky whiskey. And now I'm more and more drinking small batch or local distilleries that mm-hmm. I know that I know how it's made, you know, uh, is there isn't any trend like this or no? Uh, uh, yeah, I think so, because there's constantly new, like there's been a real boon in um, small craft distilleries in our area. Like for a while it was craft breweries and now it's craft distilleries. So it's, uh, yeah, so people are now asking what do you have that's local or you're getting a lot more of that. So you have to have it for sure in your bar. Like there's still people who are going to be like, oh, I just want Jameson's or 
and, and it's only whiskey or is it also gins yep. and other stuff? It's I would say it's more gin than anything else. Uh, gins and vodkas because they're the easiest ones to to make quickly, right? Like you don't have to age them. So like all these distilleries that pop up, they start making vodka and gin, and then they they'll make whiskey at the same time, but they got to wait three years minimum for. Mm-hmm. for it to to bottle it right so yeah all the stories are pumping out gin and vodka and then you wait for them for their whiskeys to show up <laughs> so basically the world is going uh, the same direction as far mm-hmm. as i see i really believe that you know as much natural stuff we will drink it's better just for our body because if we already choose to damage it with alcohol yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> may as well uh, be we natural need to take the yeah. best not the best in a way that okay this whiskey paid for 100 years of marketing, that's why it's the best. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to. I, I don't want to drink the marketing. I want to drink the product. Yeah. No. Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely moving that way. Well, Ray, thanks so much for joining us. This was super fun. It was great getting to know you and talk to you about all your experiences over there. This has been a super fascinating conversation for us because, like I said, no previous guests from Saint Petersburg or Tel Aviv. So. You're you're a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Listen, if you will have somebody asking some questions afterwards, you know, don't hesitate to send it to me. I will be happy to answer because there's a lot of sensitive moments now. But I believe that we are, as a hospitality people, all these things that doesn't matter. I mean, you know what? Like, yeah. we are here to make other people happy and yes. drunk and happy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is my motto. <laughs> okay. Amazing. Thanks again, Ray. Thanks nice to much. meet you. Bert. Nice to meet yeah. you. Yeah. Hope to see you one one time in real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs>